Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. This week, I'm going to be talking about the Victoria Silliers case. I don't have much of an intro this week, so let's just get into it. As a child, Victoria was badass. She loved to listen to metal and rock music. She would drum both in the high school band and she would drum metal music. She would ride and care for horses and she also discovered her love of skydiving in high school at the age of 16 years old. She signed up for a charity jump and 60 people had also signed up but the day of the jump came only five people remained and she was one of them. So this This was a parachuting jump where they would jump to raise money for charity. And the charity that Victoria had chosen was to raise money for bowel cancer research as her mother had just recently passed away from bowel cancer. She did the jump. She was nervous, but she loved it. She was hooked but she knew it was an expensive hobby and she just couldn't afford it. After she graduated high school, she then went to university for physiotherapy. She then joined the army and started her training after her physio placement in the hospital. The military then sent her to Kosovo where she worked in hospitals there, helping people, including children who had been shot. She saw firsthand how devastating and violent it was. The Serbs and Albanians ruthlessly slaughtering one another. She heard 12 Albanian farmers get shot by Serbs while she lay in bed one night. When returning back to the UK, she would get angry hearing people complain about stupid things like long lines at the grocery store. And she even said she wanted to go yell at a woman once, um, saying she wanted to go push her over because uh, she could hear the woman complaining about waiting in line at the grocery store. She said she just wanted to go over and ask her if she knew what was going on just a few hours away, meaning people are being murdered and watching their families get murdered in front of them and have nothing as the villages have been torn apart by war. And there's a woman in the UK complaining she has to wait in line to buy her biscuits, bread, and coffee. Victoria eventually started to realize she needed a break from working hospitals when returning to the UK. She then signed up for adventure training through the military because they offered hundreds of options but you can guess which category piqued her interest yep parachuting soon she found herself jumping out of planes again but this time she was doing static line jumps so I had to watch a video of what a static line jump is and it looked pretty cool but she found this stressful so it's when you don't deploy your parachute yourself as soon as you jump out of the plane it deploys because it's like attached to the plane then when you jump it becomes detached and as soon as you jump out of the plane the parachute goes up and when I watched it it was like 15 people in a line just jumping like one after another after another after another like maybe one second in between and as soon as they would jump their parachute would deploy and it was just like a bunch of 
deployed parachutes jumping out of this plane. She found this stressful. She wasn't keen on it. She did some jumps and she just wasn't getting to where she wanted to go with it. So instead, she talked to her trainer over a beer one night and he offered to take her on an accelerated free fall jump to which she said yes because she thought they looked like they were more having more fun and it was like a more relaxed style. So the accelerated free fall again, I know nothing about parachuting, So I had to watch a video on that and that is when you deploy the parachute yourself and you jump from a much higher altitude. So you're responsible for deploying your own chute and it goes from much higher up and you have quite a bit of time to free fall, which I can, that's probably why it's called accelerated free fall because you go fast, you're free falling, you deploy the chute. She was really into this. She wanted to do this. The next morning they went out and did the jump and she loved it. This is what she was looking for. She was hooked. Victoria had been dating a guy named Brett for around two years at this time and they had taken a visit to her family together and one night he proposed to her at the Edinburgh Castle. She was reluctant but said yes. She was you know, he said the question and she didn't immediately respond. She was like, uh, she was like, I'll just say yes now. And then I'll give me more time to think about it while we plan the wedding. And if, you know, if I want to get out of this, I can. So she said yes, reluctantly. During the wedding planning, she realized she actually didn't want to get married yet. She was only in her early twenties and just, and all she wanted to do was focus on her parachuting. She loved this accelerated free fall parachuting. So eventually she broke off the engagement and they went back to dating. She loved the guy, but she didn't want to get married yet. It wasn't the same and they ended up breaking up. A year later, Victoria started dating another man named Liam and he was also in the military and he was also a parachuter and they lived in the same mess. I don't know if that's like a mess hall or like same quarters at like the military something I don't know I have no idea how military works but um, she said they lived in the same mess I wrote here quarters because I assume that's kind of what it means a year after they met he then proposed to her and she said yes and they actually did get married Liam then had to go away for 18 months for bomb disposal training because he wanted to switch to an ammunition technical officer position so he had to leave for 18 months but he could come home on weekends which he did until he didn't he started skipping home visits which made victoria sus but she wanted him to focus and she never mentioned it she also never asked him about a woman named lucy after seeing some messages from Lucy to Liam on his phone one weekend when he did come home for a visit. His training finished and everything seemed normal again. At this stage, Victoria was considering having children, but thought it would be too difficult for both her and Liam to be in the military and have children. So she left the military and became a physiotherapist for the Ministry of Defense so she could move with Liam anytime he was moved around. So 2007, she does just that. She then gets a phone call from a woman named Lucy. Lucy confesses to Victoria that her and Liam were having an affair for about a year while he was doing his bomb disposal training. Lucy was also there doing bomb disposal training. Lucy claims that Liam broke it off, but she was obviously jealous and bitter of Victoria, thus the phone call. 
Liam was at work during this phone call and Victoria called him and was like, you better get your ass home now, basically. And he was like, oh, okay. Liam admits to it. And Victoria then grabs his phone unknowingly to him, goes into the bathroom, locks the door, calls Lucy and just rips her one. She is screaming and screaming and screaming. And she was calling her every name and just really letting it fly. So Liam was downstairs and he could hear this. So he goes running to the bathroom door and he's pounding on the door. Finally, he gets in. He gets the phone away from Victoria. And it it was just a big mess. But Victoria wanted to try to save her marriage. She was convinced she could rectify this issue. But then Liam was shipped to Afghanistan. He was there for months at a time. Then he would come home and then he would go back. Victoria at this stage had her mind set on becoming an accelerated freefall parachute instructor and was keeping busy with that goal while Liam was away. After a while, the stress was just too much and she separated with Liam. In 2009, she did become a qualified accelerated freefall instructor and soon after Liam returned back from Afghanistan and they divorced. Later that year is when Victoria met a man who came in for physio on his knee after a ski accident named Emil who was from South Africa um, and he was in the army. They started talking and went on a date after he was transferred to another physio of course. I mean ethics people. They were both adventurous and for their first date, they went on an aerial adventure course in Wales. So from what I could gather about aerial adventure, it's like zip lining, but there's more in between. Like you have to like, you're like high up in the treetops and you have to like climb these ladders and it gets difficult as you go higher and higher. So it seems pretty adventurous to me. And Emil love bombed Victoria with affection and attention. He was all over her. And within a few weeks, he was telling her he loved her. And within a few months, they were living together in Victoria's house, which she had bought. Victoria was enjoying being the center of Emile's world. And he was pulling out all the charm, cooking dinners for her, buying her wine, spending all his free time with her, and just swooning over her hard. Emile had told Victoria he was separated from his wife, and they had two kids together. And since they lived not far from Victoria and Emil, Emil wanted his kids to visit him, but his ex-wife needed to meet Victoria first, to which she agreed. Upon Victoria meeting his ex-wife named Carly, Carly accidentally unveils some information about Emil's other children. I guess she was like, oh, well, what about his other children? Uh, To which Victoria knew nothing about. She went home and confronted Emil and he said he never mentioned them because their mother won't allow Emil in their lives, even though they also lived in the UK. So let's talk about a little bit of Emil Sillier's um, past. So in South Africa as a teenager at 16 years old, Emil met 13-year-old Nicolene Shepard. When Nicolene was 16 years old, so three years after they had started dating, Um, She had Emile's first baby in June 2000. They then got engaged at the end of 2000. Emile then left for two years on a working holiday visit to the UK. 
When he returned to South Africa, he and Nicolene got pregnant again. Emil went back to the UK with a promise to Nicolene to set them up like there for a future. But before long, Emil got his mother to tell Nicolene that he was in a new relationship with a woman named Carly in the UK. Nicolene's response to this was to just cut him off. She cut him off and then she moved to the UK anyway with the kids in 2006 to start their life there. Years later, Nicolene's kids wanted to see their father, so she found him. He had married Carly and had told Nicolene that they were getting divorced and said it was just for a visa, which is strange because him and Carly had two kids together, and Nicolene and Emil started seeing each other again. Nicolene then learns from Carly that they are still married with two kids. They were never divorced. He lied about that. Three years later after that, Carly divorced him around 2008-2009. Then 2009, he meets Victoria. So he tells Victoria that him and Nicolene don't see each other and she wants nothing to do with him and she doesn't want him around the kids. So Victoria is satisfied with this answer and Emil turns on the charm. He sure is good at that. Next minute, he and Victoria are talking about having children together. Emil had been fixing up broken things around the home and Victoria was very pleased with this. What she wasn't pleased with was the debt that Emil had been accumulating. At this point, it was around 2,000 pounds, which Victoria paid off for him so they could, you know, start from, from the bottom and work their way up. You know, they weren't starting in a negative. She wanted to, to help him. Victoria taught him to pack parachutes and get him a job at the parachute place that she instructed on weekends. He paid her back the 2,000 pounds and was uh, now making money to help with expenses. 2011, they go to South Africa to meet Emil's family. While there, they go to a cheetah sanctuary where cheetahs that have been shot are rehabilitated. While petting a cheetah, the worker asked if they had any questions and Emil said yes turns to Victoria and asks, Victoria, will you marry me? And the cheetah had a diamond ring on its collar. Best proposal she's had yet, I reckon. She said yes with no hesitation. The now 36-year-old Victoria had also discovered she was pregnant shortly after the engagement. She and Emil were so excited, but tragedy followed and 12 weeks into the pregnancy, she miscarried. That same day, Emil had guilted her into going to London for a cricket match he was playing in. All she wanted to do was go home and cry with Emil, but they make the hour drive to London. She thought, well, at least I can hang out alone in the hotel room and be comfortable. But when they arrived, they were actually staying in a large open room with the cricket team sleeping on the floor in sleeping bags and the nearest toilet was down a few flights of stairs. Victoria was bleeding heavily and suffering from the miscarriage. She was in a great deal of pain and Emil wanted her to sleep on a floor in a room with a team of men with no toilet. Victoria expressed her concerns and Emil just handed her the car keys to drive home alone, which she did. Sad, in pain, and lonely. 
Six weeks after the miscarriage, they were set to fly to South Africa for their wedding, and Victoria discovers she's pregnant again. They are both really happy about the news. They are ecstatic. They fly to South Africa and have their perfect wedding. They then go on their honeymoon. The last day of their honeymoon, Victoria starts to bleed. She expects the worst, but the next day, back in the UK, an ultrasound shows a healthy baby's heartbeat. At 36 weeks pregnant, they have to induce labor early because of complications. And they have a beautiful baby girl on a moment's notice named April. Family life was bliss until the finances started going out of whack. And Emil was taking out loans and overdrafts in Victoria's name. Just before April was born, Emil's rock climbing friend Chris had died in a climbing accident and the death had really affected him so much that he wasn't going to attend a selection course for the Royal Army Physical Training Corps. But he did manage his way through and was selected and had a new post at Gibraltar barracks in Minley. So where was all his money going? Every time Victoria would mention the overdrafts and loans, Emil would blow up and she would end up saying sorry just to just to calm him down. And she also just stopped bringing it up because she couldn't handle the fights anymore. They were exhausting. Victoria would notice an overdraft and give Emil money to pay it off, but she would check the account and it wouldn't get paid off. He would just take her money and do whatever with it. Then he wanted to buy a new home and Victoria didn't think they could they could financially. So they met with the bank and she then realized since her marriage with Emil, her credit was ruined. The bank wouldn't give them a loan. So then Emil convinced Victoria to get her brother Christopher to lend them the money for the new home, which he did. Victoria's father and brother could see what was happening financially between the two of them because they had convinced her to put the deed in her name and have Emil sign a postnuptial. So if they did get divorced, he couldn't take the home Christopher essentially bought. The financial trouble followed them into their new home when Emil started missing monthly payments to Victoria's brother, so she was now paying her brother back solely. Victoria had cut down her hours on the weekends at the airfield instructing um, to spend more time with April and Emil. And this in turn meant she was making less money now. Now the 38-year-old Victoria felt time was running out to have another baby. So she brought the idea up to Emil and he was so excited and agreed. They tried for months, but their efforts were fruitless. When her doctor was running tests, they asked for Emil's sperm sample. To which Emil said he gave his sample to his doctor to be tested, but couldn't produce the results to give to Victoria to bring to her doctor. Victoria eventually found the empty sample container in Emil's car. She doesn't know why he lied, but he did and she didn't bring it up because shortly after this, she became pregnant. When she announced her pregnancy to Emil, it seemed he couldn't care less. Then something outright unignorable happens. The mother of their 16-year-old babysitter calls Victoria to tell her that Emil has been sending her daughter inappropriate text messages and even sends Victoria a screenshot which read from Emil to the 16-year-old, quote, do you have a boyfriend, unquote, and quote, you look really nice tonight, unquote. 
Victoria is so disgusted and embarrassed and apologizes profusely. When she asks Emil about it, he says that his Apple account has been hacked and he didn't send the messages. Then he starts a huge fight and storms out. Victoria must have been in deep denial because she started to doubt herself and think that maybe he didn't send the text messages. A couple days later, Victoria was on the family computer and emails to Emil from a sex club started popping up in a side window. To which Emil explained to Victoria that he used to attend that club with his ex-wife, but he no longer does. Then the next week, the emails popped up again, this time showing a conversation between Emil that he was having with a woman in this group, saying that she had a good time tonight, and he replied he did too, and too bad there was cameras in the car park otherwise who knows what would have happened and victoria shows emil the messages and he says his account was hacked man either people love hacking emil or he uses this excuse a lot emil yet again makes victoria doubt herself and makes her think she's paranoid but then she finds a receipt in his pocket for a dinner for two at nando's one of the meals being white wine and salad Emil claims it wasn't his receipt. Now Victoria really wants to catch him out, so she waits for him to get back from the shops and compare a known receipt to the Nando's receipt, and the card numbers are the same. She again confronts Emil, this time with her evidence. He must have realized he's been outsmarted, but someone like Emil, he did not like this at all, and he just kept lying and lying and lying. And of course, he starts a fight, he starts getting angry, and he tells Victoria that she's losing her mind and that she's paranoid, and he yelled and yelled, and Victoria finally just says sorry just to get the fight to end. At this stage, Emile was making more money than Victoria, but she still kept noticing missing funds from her bank account and their joint account. Emile, of course, said it must be fraud and somebody probably hacked it. So Victoria canceled her card and had a new one sent, but she had never received it. Yet the charges kept adding up. So she knew that Emile had got it out of the mail before she could. She searched his office and found it. She didn't bring it up to him though because she knew that it would just start another exhausting fight. This time, she changed her passwords and made it so the only way to get money out was in person at the bank where she had to show her passport. And she didn't tell Emil about this. He then came to her one day and claimed his family needed money. So she gave him a thousand pounds, later to find out only 500 pounds made it to them. And Emil had kept the rest. Emil was becoming more distant, leaving home on weekends, going on overnight trips with parachuting clubs, posting drunken pics of him hugging women while Victoria's at home pregnant with their son. His car was impounded at one point and he called Victoria to pick him up as his car insurance had run out. But of course he claims he paid it and this was a mistake on the insurer's end. The lies and deceit kept rolling in like tidal waves. Emil's phone was openly pinging notifications from Tinder, which Victoria discovered one night at a party when his phone was on the table and a a Tinder notification came in and her friend saw it and her friend said, hey, someone's got a notification from Tinder. Whose phone is this? Emil had only heard whose phone is this and he turns away from a conversation he's having and he says, oh, that's my phone. 
Victoria was so embarrassed but just didn't say anything. But later, she does confront him about it and he claims that his friends made that profile of him as a joke. Victoria saw his messages talking to a woman named Stephanie, but at seven months pregnant, she was too tired to argue. Christmas day was one of the worst days of Victoria's life as Emil made zero effort to get her anything. Even though previously he had called her from one of his um, long outings to another country, he was in Austria and he had called her and said, what do you want for Christmas? And she was like, I don't know, like whatever, you know, whatever is, whatever is easy to bring back. You know, she's thinking like chocolates or perfume. And he says, he doesn't have any money. So then she says, oh, I can give you money. And then he says, like, no, forget it. So she was willing to give him money to buy her a Christmas present to which she had to tell him what she wanted. In the end, he got her nothing. They went and spent Christmas at um, her family's house. And on Christmas morning, when everybody was getting presents, he acted like he was sad that he hadn't gotten her anything. And she was so embarrassed. She felt like all eyes were on her and everyone was looking at her thinking, oh my God, your husband doesn't even care for you enough to get you a Christmas present. Of course, they probably weren't, but this is how she felt. And it was, it was really sad for her. After, after all of this happened, after she's feeling like he doesn't care about her at all and made zero effort to get her anything, he then says he's leaving for a few weeks and won't be there for New Year's Eve. He says he has to work in Germany, but Victoria knows that military and army, they don't work over the holidays, but she didn't argue. Even though he had just gotten back from weeks away in Austria, even though she knew it was a lie, she didn't argue. He even tried to use her card to pay for the trip, but the funds bounced back as Victoria learned when the bank called her. It was at this point she started to feel trapped. She had no idea what to do. When he returned, he was even more distant, and while in the same room with Victoria, he sent her an email saying he wants to end the marriage, and he's going to live at the army base. He ended up agreeing to stay until after the baby was born. He then tells Victoria he's going away on another trip for work in May, a dive trip, to which at that time they will have a newborn baby, but he doesn't care. Victoria finds emails again on the family computer of Emil asking the dive instructor if he can bring his girlfriend on the trip. Victoria is obviously heartbroken and to make things worse she finds a booking for two for Valentine's Day for dance lessons and she knows it's not for her. On Valentine's Day he leaves the house not saying anything. A couple days after that Victoria gives birth to their son Ben and Emil is acting cold and inconvenienced by his son's birth. He doesn't want to be there. He's not comforting his wife. He's not excited. He's just not looking happy. Victoria just went through hell and he wouldn't even hug her or look at her. He was totally addicted to his phone and rarely pulled his face out of it. A couple weeks later after the birth, Victoria confronted Emil about smoking in her car. And he lied and said he didn't, but there was evidence all over the car and the car stunk. This made her angry because she felt like it was endangering her children. This started a fight and Emil yelled a lot like he always did when he was being defensive and lying. That night, he calmly told Victoria that he was going to sleep at the base and she said fine and noticed it took him longer than usual to leave the house, but eventually she heard the door close. 
The next morning, she discovered the gas line had been tampered with and gas was leaking into the home where her and the children had been sleeping all night. When she sent Emil a text message about it, he had then responded to her to see if the stove was working. And she was like, hell no. Then she jokingly asks him through the text messages if he's trying to kill her. Because previously she had just read a true crime article in a magazine about husbands who kill their wives. And he got really defensive and weird, which then raised flags. And now she really did think he may have had something to do with it. The gas pipe that was tampered with had blood on it. And a few days earlier, Emil had cut himself and Victoria had remembered cleaning up his blood in the kitchen. Every time Victoria bring up his lying and cheating, he would yell and fight. He was at this point unbearable to be around. Then one day, a week after the gas line incident, he suddenly changed back to the man that she had first met. He was paying attention to her. He was being nice to her. He was being affectionate. He then asked her if she would like to do a skydive jump together. Victoria was thrilled. She was so happy that he was even considering doing anything with her and said yes. Emil made the plans, but before the jump, Victoria took her parachute in for a routine safety inspection because it had been about a year since she had used it and needed to have some expired parts replaced. So she decided to rent one because the the replacement parts were gonna take a couple weeks um, to get sorted out. So she decided she was gonna rent one for her jump. The night before the jump, Emil told Victoria that he couldn't get a babysitter so he would watch the kids while she jumped, which made her sad because she really wanted to do the jump together, thinking that maybe it could further bring their bond back together the day of the jump april 15th 2015 emil and the kids waited on the ground to watch victoria do her jump as they were waiting victoria had gone to the counter and she had um gotten her rented parachute and her daughter was carrying it around and then emil um took it because it's quite heavy so then emil took it and he was carrying it and then april their daughter said she needed to use the toilet So she was like, okay, let's go. And then Emil offered to take their daughter to the toilet. So Victoria was pleased that he was jumping in and being a father and taking on responsibilities and taking their daughter to the toilet. So Emil and April went to the toilet and Emil had the parachute flung over his back at this point and still had it when they went to the toilet. Victoria noticed they were gone for longer than usual and she was going to see what was taking so long but before she could open the door she could hear her daughter talking away and and you know everything was fine so she didn't open the door so she just went back to wait for the um, plane to take off and it was too windy to jump that day so she decided to reschedule. And when Victoria tried to bring it back to the rentals as she wasn't going to jump that day, Emil suggested she store it in her locker and use it tomorrow. Even though this is against procedure, Victoria agrees. That night at home, she felt she had her perfect family back together. Her baby would not settle and she ended up being up all night with Ben, trying to get him to sleep. So she was exhausted when the sun rose. Emil was still encouraging her to go parachute, even though she just wanted to sleep. They had a party to go to later that day, so she decided, why not just do the jump, get it over with, and then go to the party. She felt that Emil really wanted her to do the jump because he had organized it and that it was important for him to do something for her. So she 
persevered and she goes back to the airfield, grabs the parachute pack out of her locker and cues in line. Within 10 minutes, she was called to board the plane. But then the weather rolls in and this jump was also canceled. She texts Emil and he encourages her to stay and wait out the weather. Victoria's tired and she's waiting and she just wants to be at home with her babies. But Victoria thinks he's being supportive and cares so much, you know, because he planned the jump and agrees to wait around. She waits around for hours. She pumps some milk for Ben to have that night so she can have a few drinks at her friend's party later. But all she wanted to do was go home and forget about the jump. But she kept going she kept waiting the time came but the cloud coverage was still heavy so they informed her they would only be doing a low level jump to which they ascend only 5,000 feet rather than the 13,000 feet that she was you know signed up to do and Victoria was keen to just go she was like fine all good works for me she was wishing she was home with her babies and even though she was incredibly experienced She was having some bad vibes about this. You know, she just wanted to be home. But, you know, she even even being an incredibly experienced at parachuting and a trainer, she was really nervous and, and felt something internally pulling at her not to do the jump. But she did. She was the last out of the plane. And when it came time to pull her chute cord, it came out in a tangle, plummeting through the air. She's now trying to fix it. And she's trained in this. She stays calm but it was no use. She then realized she had to cut the ropes of the tangled chute. So she cuts the ropes of the entangled chute and then deploys the backup chute. It didn't open fully. And from a ground's eye view, she was twisting and swinging violently through the air, plummeting faster and faster to the earth at a rapid speed. There was nothing more she could do and her body hit the earth, slamming down with incredible force. Her still body laying on the ground motionless. The airfield doctor quickly deploys and runs over to check on her. And to everyone's surprise, her eyes flickered open, but then shut again. A helicopter airlifted her to Southampton's emergency room, where doctors worked feverishly to stabilize her. Miraculously, she woke up. That's right, true crime listeners. This badass survived. She survived jumping out of a plane from 5,000 feet in the air, plummeting to the ground, and she made it. She lived. Victoria had no idea how bad her situation was, though, as they had her in a blissful state of ketamine and then fentanyl. She couldn't feel the pain. Every rib on her right side was broken. Her right lung partially collapsed. Her pelvis shattered and there was serious damage to her vertebrae. When she fully woke up, she saw Emil sitting in a chair in the hospital room, and he didn't seem happy she was alive. Basically, he was like, oh yeah, cool, good for you. Uh, I've been waiting here a long time. And just sits there texting on his phone, almost annoyed she was alive. And then Victoria apologized to him and felt like it was her fault she had inconvenienced Emil, and he just let her feel that way. He just he just let her feel like shit about herself. She was so embarrassed how little he came to visit her when she spent time recovering in the ICU and friends and family had noticed his behavior. They noticed he was acting so heartless and cold. 
Driven by her maternal instincts, she did everything in her power to heal and get home to her kids. She received good news that her spine was stable and she started walking again using different types of aids to assist her and soon she had been able to get around on crutches and in a back brace. Two weeks after her horrific accident, she was given the all clear to go home and finish her recovery at home with her family. When she called Emil to tell him she was so excited and he was not at all and told her he was too busy to pick her up and he could come get her in three days. She was kind of shocked about this, but she stayed in hospital and waited the three days. When Emil eventually did come pick her up from the hospital, she said the ride home was very awkward and he wasn't talking and she tried to make conversation, but he was giving one word answers, so she just gave up. When she did eventually get home, Emil made her feel like she was a burden. The only time he really seemed to show affection was when the two investigators from the British Parachutes Association came over to ask her some questions about the accident. Then he was hugging her and acting supportive and sitting beside her and showing emotion. The investigators were actively investigating the faulty shoot. Then a couple days go by and the airfield calls her and asked if she would like to have it reported to police because it seems like it was no accident. She pauses. Victoria hadn't even stopped to think about the accident. She was so focused on recovery. She asked Emil what he thought about reporting it to the police and he actually put his phone down and paid full attention to her at this point. He hugged her and said, yeah, why not? And so a full swing investigation was underway. It had been weeks since the police started an investigation and Victoria hadn't heard anything. So she just assumed that maybe she had wasted everyone's time agreeing to the investigation. Emil had become that sweet, nice, loving father she married years ago, and she thought life was back on track. One morning as she sat at the kitchen table with her children, Emil bolted down the stairs claiming he was late for work and said bye as he darted out the door. That night, two detectives came to speak to Victoria. Your husband's been arrested for suspicion of your attempted murder, they told her. Victoria was so confused and couldn't put the situation together. She couldn't believe what she was hearing. The realization of being injured and having to be the sole caregiver to her children was overwhelming. She didn't think her husband had tried to kill her. And now because she said, you know, to go ahead with the investigation, now she had no one to share the responsibilities of her kids with. But she had remembered that Emil did go to the bathroom with her parachute. She went down to the station and gave a statement. The next day, her father arrived to help with the kids and herself as she still had on a back brace and needed crutches to walk. Getting up and down the stairs was an absolute nightmare for her, let alone carrying a baby. A few days later, police returned to speak to Victoria, this time with more information. They told her they searched Emile's room at the army base and found no pictures of her and the children, but instead found pictures of his girlfriend he had been seeing for a while. In fact, they were going to move in with each other, and his girlfriend had been told his marriage was over. And he told his girlfriend it was because Victoria was cheating and that their baby, Ben, was fathered by Victoria's affair and not him. These policemen knew what they were doing and they got Victoria good and mad springing all this information on her. Then they asked her to make another statement at the station and it worked. Victoria told them 
everything. She spilled the beans. She told them about the money issues, the cheating, the lies, everything. She let it pour out and didn't stop till there was nothing left. Emil was even further in debt than when they had married, but kept it a secret. But police also spilled those beans. Victoria has a flickering thought that maybe her husband did have something to do with the jumping incident. Police had asked her if anything unusual had happened before the accident, and that's when she recalled the gas leak. Emil was now out on bail, but wasn't allowed to speak to Victoria or even enter the county. Victoria kept asking when she could speak to him and was given the answer of a couple of weeks. She focused on her recovery and getting stronger and her profession of being a physiotherapist helped her to recover faster. Not only was she dealing with injury and raising two kids alone, but she had social workers coming by, police and reporters dropping in and was still in denial that Emil had tried to kill her. Even though Emil was the one suspected of murder, Victoria seemed to be getting treated worse by police. They told her several times she is not allowed to leave the country, yet Emil was still traveling around the world, child-free like a single free man, visiting South Africa and going to sporting events. One morning, two police vans show up at her home with a warrant to rip the place apart, which they did for over six hours. They discovered the tampered gas hose with the dried blood on it as well. Police then contact Victoria a few days later to tell her that Emil has been arrested again for her attempted murder again because of the gas hose. And because the kids were in the home when he had did that, now he cannot see them at all. Later that changed and he could see them, but only supervised visit at a contact center. All this took a massive toll on Victoria. She was suffering from flashbacks of her failed jump and having nightmares that Emil was in the home standing over her as she slept. Her daughter was angry and blaming Victoria for her father not being around and she was too young to fully understand the weight of the situation. Victoria felt like giving up on life but stayed strong for her children. A year after the fall, in December 15th, she was back at work as a physiotherapist. And she had also been studying more and gained a spot on the Sports Physiotherapy Master's Program and in 2006 graduated with a merit. One day, police came into her work to tell her that Emil is being charged with attempted murder on both the jump and the gas leak. Also, reckless endangerment of the children's lives as they were in the home when the gas was tampered with. She hadn't even considered how hard the trial would be. October 2017, the trial began. Two years after the failed jump occurred, Victoria was called as a witness. And the first day that she was on the stand, she was essentially getting grilled for four hours about the jump and all the personal details of her marriage. After years of hiding how terrible her marriage was, she now had to speak about it in front of a lot of people. She was receiving hate mail during the trial about why she couldn't see how guilty Emil was and that he was a monster. So essentially people were getting mad at her for not testifying harder against Emil, which is really not cool by them because she's just been through this horrific incident and now they're sending her hate mail. 
Days before she testified, she had read in the newspapers about her husband's affairs with a woman named Stephanie, who was his girlfriend, but she also learned Emil had been sleeping with his ex-wife. She also discovered in those articles how much debt he was in, 22,000 pounds, and it was speculated he could have received 120,000 pounds on a payment from Victoria's life insurance. And she again wondered if her husband was indeed the cause of her injuries. In court, she was given an evidence book filled with text messages to and from Emil and his affairs. Victoria could see he was messaging them from beside her hospital bed as she was recovering from the fall. And also when she had given birth to their son and the entire time she was pregnant. Among those text messages, Emil sent one to Stephanie in 2015. And it said that after April, the month of April, not their daughter, so after April, he will be able to be random and spontaneous, and he would do anything to be with her. Take note that April 2015 was when uh, Victoria's parachute failed during that jump that he had arranged for her. The text message that Victoria had sent Emil a week before the jump also came up in court when the gas line was tampered with and Victoria had sent him that message asking him, are you trying to kill me? The prosecutor pointed out that Emil took the parachute to the bathroom with April that first day Victoria was supposed to jump and when the jump didn't happen, it was Emil who mentioned she should just store it in her locker and continued to show interest in his wife's jump, pursuing her to go back and do it. There was some debate on how long Emil spent in the bathroom with the parachute and how long it would take to alter the chute. And also, Emil is a trained parachute packer and he is capable of altering it. After months of a torturous trial, it ended up as a retrial. Victoria was depleted, thinking it was going to end just to start all over again. So the retrial started April 11th, 2018, three years after the jump. The nightmare was never ending and Victoria was back on the stand. Eventually, Emil was found guilty and convicted on two counts of attempted murder and reckless endangerment and was served with a minimum of 18 years in prison. The court found Emil's complete lack of remorse to be very damning. They stated he tried to kill his own wife to serve his own agenda and Victoria had suffered greatly. Victoria was stunned. Once the trial was over and media died down, Emil contacted Victoria and tried to regain the abusive control he once had over her, this time from prison. This was the first time in years that Victoria spoke to Emil. During one of their phone calls, Victoria just straight up asked him if he had tried to murder her and he claimed his innocence. He said, no, he had not. He's obviously lying to manipulate her and was calling her every day and begging for visits and all her free time. Victoria could now see what she hadn't been able to see before. The controlling, lying, cold, manipulative person Emil truly was. After years of trying to save her marriage, she divorced him. She moved on with her life, closing that terrible chapter. She feels not hate nor love for Emil. She feels nothing for him. Victoria had been speaking in confidence with uh, Rob, who is a chaplain for the military, who contacted her through army welfare, and she trusted him. So this gave her somebody 
to talk to, to work through what was happening. They talked through all of the turbulence and this must have really helped because she now understood how toxic her marriage truly was and that it was abusive. She says in her book, quote, it was the most difficult thing to process. She could only see it once it was over. She finally accepted Emil was trying to kill her and he was guilty. This entire ordeal may have stopped some people from ever jumping out of a plane again, but not Victoria. Her physical wounds had healed and she was well on the way to mending the emotional ones. She was determined to parachute again and not allow Emil to ruin her passion she once had for it. I'd imagine this would feel empowering and the choice to continue or leave the sport would be her own choice. So she got on the phone and she lined up a jump with her and her friends, not at the airfield of her failed jump because they had received tons of media attention during the the trial and the investigation. So she didn't want to put them through anything, anything else. So she lined it up with a different one, but then they had called her back saying they didn't want her to jump there, which seems really unfair because she did nothing wrong. That jump that failed was because someone was trying to murder her. Anyways, they said, you know, thanks for booking, but we actually can't have you jump here. So she didn't give up. She found an airfield that would book them in and set a date. Victoria decided to do a tandem jump so she could focus on the fall and she chose someone she knew and trusted to be strapped to. He is a very qualified trainer that she knew. So she really trusted this guy. The weather postponed the jump as it was supposed to be on a Saturday, but that Sunday, everything was good to go. It was a beautiful autumn day. She's ready to do her jump. When she's in the plane and the plane starts up and she's starting to ascend, she started to feel sick from the familiar scents and sounds that were present the day of her attempted murder. The night before the jump, she was having terrible flashbacks, but she persevered and knew how important it was to do this. Before they leapt out of the plane, Victoria was crying. Her friends were supporting her greatly, telling her she doesn't have to jump if she doesn't want to, and through their support, she felt stronger. They shuffled their way over to the edge of the plane, and they jumped. And as the air whipped around her, and they rushed downwards through the clouds, she remembered her love for the sport, and all her fears faded as she took back her power and independence. After landing safely on the ground, her children and father were there to hug her and congratulate her. Everyone was cheering for her. The truly poetic thing about this jump is that just like the first jump she had ever did when she was 16, that charity jump she did to raise money, this one was also a charity jump to raise money. Victoria raised 5,000 pounds for the people at Air Ambulance who saved her life the day her shoots failed. Now divorced from Emile at the time of her book being written sometime after 2018, Victoria found herself in a new loving relationship. So for this podcast, I read the book that she has written. Um, it's called I Survived by Victoria Silliers and I devoured it in two days. It is such a good read. I highly recommend it. I will link it in my show notes. Such an amazing tale of survival. She's just so strong. She persevered. She survived a gas leak. She survived plummeting out of a plane. She's just an incredible woman. Emile, on the other hand, not so incredible. So to Emile Silliers, I'm gonna have to say, hell no. Thanks for listening. See you next week.
at Gibraltar brackets, he meets Victoria. Then 2009, then 2009, he meets Victoria. Then 2009, and Victoria finally, her passion she once had for it. I'd imagine this would feel impassioned.